Hello, everyone. And I am your host, Sumedha, from the Little Arabhad Foundation. And I welcome you all to yet another episode of our podcast series, The Layman's Walk. The guest of, the, uh, the guest of today is someone who is not only a communication skills expert, life skills coach, and corporate trainer, but also an ex-Taloy and a personality development mentor at Galvanizing Potential, your one-step solution to all the exams related to MBA, IBPS, SSC, and CLAT. Please welcome Mr. Praveen Sharma. Thank you, Sumedha. Thank you, sir, for uh, giving us the opportunity to have you on our series. Okay. And I feel uh, uh, very uh, exalted, to be very honest, why? Because uh, uh, this is one such topic which has been in discussion for the past few days, the date the policy has been issued by the MHRP. And there are a lot of confusion running around around its implication, uh, around its implications and then implementations and a lot of other things and a lot of confusions and then the people when i was going through this even i was very happy the land looks uh, spectacular on paper for sure and let's see uh, what what uh, how this discussion goes around so i'm looking forward to it yes sir so uh, as all of you can understand by now we are going to discuss this session is solely dedicated one of the most uh, one of the most recently talked about subjects, namely the NEP 2020 or the new education policy. So uh, coming to the discussion, sir, we do know out of the many reforms that uh, the that the government took towards this uh, NEP, MPhil is a sub MPhil is a degree which has been removed. So uh, what are, what is your take on it? So MPhil being removed, you know, uh, we'll first have to understand what actually MPhil is all about. What what MPhil, MPhil as a course takes care of, right? So to to get an MPhil done, any students required to get their post graduation in any particular, or they get their masters done in any particular industry, right, or any particular field. And then what MPhil used to do was it used to give them a uh, overview of how research actually works, right? So uh, and then uh, MPhil, Masters of Philosophy, basically it's equivalent to any master's degree over there. So wherein people uh, learn about how to research or how to get into research or what particular subject they need to choose when it comes to the research subject over a period of time. Right? Because you know, uh, to become an assistant professor in any of the reputed central universities across the country, you need to get your PhD done in a particular subject, the Doctor of Philosophy. So MPhil usually students out with that, the aspirants out with that, those. Now, now, if you look at it from a different point of view, there is a redundancy factor over there. Now, uh, why do I say redundancy? Uh, it's simply because a uh, student who has done their MPhil, they again need to go through the same process, basically the same process in their PhD as well. Now, what they look forward to in this new policy is a student first getting their master's done, then again in their MPhil done, and then again some four, four or five years in their PhD. That 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 takes somewhere around four to nine years. And let's look at it from another perspective as well. Usually a student in this country gets it gets his or her postgraduate when he's somewhere around 23. And there are a lot of other responsibilities that also come into picture. Like you, your parents have invested a lot of money in your education and they, even they want some returns, right? And they're not, not wrong in this case, right? Now, when 
looking at this time scale, as in for nine years, you're spending just to become an associate professor and eventually you'll get your research done. MPhil was in between. And then, it's, and to understand this specifically, we also have to go back to the new graduation degree that they have come up with, right? If you see, uh, it's a four year graduation degree from now. The first year, the first year of your degree gives you basically a what? Certification. First year of your graduation gives you certification. The second year gives you diploma. The third year gives you a degree. And the fourth year gives you the degree with the research as well. Now, the students who are interested in research as in PhD, right, they're getting a good exposure right here in this graduation program as per the new policy. And I think that is the main reason they are done. They have done away with MPhil. And I think it's a good move. Now, if you're looking for my views on it, I think it's a good move. Why? And then a lot of students as well who are considering uh, what happens to those who've already done their masters in philosophy. Uh, government will be taking some necessary steps to for them. And then there's another thing. Uh, there's another bias that usually comes in. Uh, let's say if you you as a postgraduate after clearing your net, going for a JRA program or a PhD program, right? And then there's another guy who usually have done his MPhil as well. Now. There is a selection bias as well there. There is a selection bias also. A, uh, 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 an interviewer will always prefer an MPhil over a simple postgraduate guy who is aspiring to become a PhD, right? So this is another way of looking at it. So uh, as per my views are concerned, I think it's a good step and uh, all it needs to be uh, over. Uh, and then they have taken at least 10 years for it to be properly implemented. Let's see how it comes out. But my views, it's a good step. That is what I need. Okay. Thank you, sir, for your views. Uh, so we also do know that uh, the government also plans to introduce coding from class six itself. Most probably it is an idea that the government has uh, taken or is impressed with China because uh, as per what China has done, it has included coding in its uh, students' curriculum since a long time. And it also claims that it is a part of why they are developing at uh, such a nice pace. So uh, what are your views on it and that how effective and practical it is to introduce coding from an early age? So both both uh, the good as well as the flip side to this, you know, right? Now to introduce coding at school levels, basically this is what we're talking about, right from class six, right? Now, it is a good step only from the point of view, right? Just said, uh, if you consider the previous few years data regarding India's employment uh, uh, or the world's employment requirement when it comes to uh, fulfilling uh, what kind of uh, quality we are giving, right? So India right now is one of the youngest countries in the world with an average of age of somewhere around 29 to 30 years, right? We, uh, if you compare it with Japan, it's somewhere around 40 to 45 years, United States, of America is somewhere again around 40, 45. So we are the youngest countries in the world. Now, do we have the technological expertise to be able to actually uh, get the market which is out there for us to uh, exploit when it comes to employment? Now, the first thing, and why are they introducing it right from this uh, class six level is the advantages side of it, the good sides of it, you know. Uh, coding is something, and if you talk to a guy who's, uh, I've done my master's twice to be very honest, right? And then there's still, there are certain subjects I feel really uncomfortable with. Technology is one of them. Why? Because I did not get a proper exposure. And this is how our education system is also designed. Now, 
10 years of processing and then you're supposed to choose your streams and all. Now what they're doing with this new education policy is that they are actually giving students an opportunity to get exposed to these technical sides of education at the really uh, at a real uh, young age. So what happens now, it actually gives students an opportunity to be very clear in on what they're going to do in the future. If they really want to get into technology, this is the right stage. And the younger, the younger ages of any student, right? If you get into uh, training and if you get into education, you get to know a student when young is actually easier to train. The more uh, the, the elder you get, or the, let's say uh, if you reach a certain age group, you become a bit reluctant to get new things uh, or to learn new things. Why? Because you, you kind of become happy with whatever is going around. So one good side is that it gives a student to uh, a very early exposure of what coding is all about. Now, again, the flip side, do we have trained teachers? Do we have trained teachers, trained faculty members of faculty who will be able to teach coding effectively and productively to the students? Why? Because coding is something, uh, if you ask me, what do I know about coding? I'll simply tell you, I know nothing about coding as object. Right now, other subjects, I am pretty sure that it has to be equally complicated and for all the other subjects teachers teach. Now, what makes a teacher different is how actually they teach it to the students. So six, uh, what is what would be an age of the student when he's class six, right? If you go with the new education policies, this is six, it'll be somewhere around nine to 10 years old. Now, nine to 10 years old, and to teach a subject as complicated as coding, you also need teachers who are equally qualified to teach that subject in a way that students actually will be able to learn something or make something out of it. If that is not properly implemented, then there's no use. The other side of it, this is what I was talking about. Okay. Had some network. I'm sorry, sir. I had some network okay. issues. Okay. So Thank you, you sir. To, uh, <laughs> okay, so you can. Uh, it's okay. Fine, right? I just saying, right? It, uh, uh, in a nutshell, all I was trying to say is it's a good move again introducing coding right at the very basics level where students get this opportunity to get exposed to and the world out there, you know, in another 10 years, another 15 now, uh, years down the line, uh, technology is something that will come up with lots and lots and lots of employment opportunities. COVID-19 has actually showed education its true colors, to be very honest, right? Now, uh, what has happened in the past few months, everyone knows how education has, has gone online and then teachers were actually not very comfortable to take sessions online. Correct. Even we got some used to do, to be very honest. We also had to uh, first go through some pilot batches and then get used to this new online. Now I'm very fortunate enough that I'm only 30 years of age that I know how to use or manipulate certain technologies and then I can get through it easily. Now, most of the teachers in this country come from a previous generation. Now, during this pandemic, what usually happened was a lot of criticism around the countries regarding teachers and their online sessions. Now, 
teaching kids right from that young age actually helps them to understand what technology is all about the big big business houses who are basically running their business very successfully only only based on coding and technologies right so i think it's a good move again the flip side already discussed you need qualified trainers good teachers who are able to discuss these things in a very cohesive or in a coherent manner okay mm -hmm. thank you sir for your views uh, for the same matter as to uh, have the teachers to be professional enough and to be qualified enough and trained enough the ncrt did take a move to uh, establish the ncfte which mm -hmm. also makes the uh, ba degree to be a minimum of 4 years by the end mm -hmm. of 2030 Right. So, uh, how do you think that uh, will turn out to be effective, <clears throat> or as well implemented as it is, as it claims it to be? Uh, so, I'll first have to talk about NAP then, for that matter, right? To come to this point, you know, see, uh, the poly, uh, for the previous few years, whatever whatever is happening in this country, right? Whatever plan that have been developed, they look spectacular on paper. and i will not name the plans okay and no no one to get political for uh, that matter right so the, whatever policies these gov uh, this government has come up with correct they all look spectacular on paper but when it comes to implementation i'm not sure whether they have done it the way they they were supposed to be implemented okay and the same goes with nti as well it is overtly ambitious okay very futuristic but again uh, if you see the gdp contribution that has been given to it i think it's only mere 1.7% addition so they are they are bringing it up to 6% of gdp from 4.3% which was earlier uh, gdp's contribution to education now to implement something at this level you know you you need the you need an investment or let's say a proportion of gdp which is actually 3 to 4 times so which means what any gdp proportion which was earlier 4% the if you thinking of implementing it right away or let's say and that is why i think they have taken at least 10 years and that is why they are saying that 2030 is the year then and 2040 india would be second to none overly ambitious right then again just adding 1.7% of gdp and then thinking of implementing it i think government has to again think of something better than this why because in order to implement all this you need funds you need funds and then if you don't have money plans the, the way you're going to implement plans will not come out the way you actually have put it on paper that's a problem the second problem that we are going to face is the mindset of the people around in the country the mindset change that mindset we it's been 40 years we have already equipped ourselves with a mindset that indian education system not only indian education system actually most of the education system around in the world are basically factory outlets where you put in students from the one side and then you process them as engineers and doctors and then all the others uh, stem professions from the other side right this is how it basically goes now you're talking about the ba degree and then uh, so the teacher training program i was talking about right this is what your question was now how is it related to the implementation part why because uh, the ba program which was early near two year two year course which is earlier a two year course now they are saying teacher education and ba should be for four years this is what your question was correct yes sir that now it is actually not like that now we need clarification on this 
uh, it is actually not like that. Uh, let's say a student who just passes 12th examination, right? And then he has no idea what he wants to become in the future. He, he goes into graduation. He gets his graduation done in commerce, right? He again gets his post-graduation done in post-graduation degree in finance and commerce again. And then all of a sudden he realizes, no, he wanted to become a teacher. Mm -hmm. Now, what do you think? Do, uh, does, it uh, does the new education policy require of him to again go through four-year uh, BA program? No, it's not like that. It's mm -hmm. not like that. Again, it has been thought of very beautifully. Let's say, uh, because the graduation system, the new graduation system, according to NEP is multidisciplinary in nature, as far as paper is concerned, the policy. It is multidisciplinary in nature, and then multiple entry and exits options are also available. Correct. Yeah. Now, the four-year graduation program gives, uh, I will repeat my point I have mentioned earlier, the first year basically is a certification, the second year is a diploma, the third year is a degree, and the fourth year is a degree with research, right? Degree with research. Now, if a student has completed his three years with a degree, okay, and then he wants to get on a job, make some money, and then again, he wants to become a teacher, then he's no more required to go with four years of BA program. No, he only needs two years of BA degree, which was earlier always, there, which was earlier also there, right? Now, if a student who has completed four years of uh, degree with research as well, he, all, he only needs to go through one year of BA program. Mm -hmm. And he'll be able to get into any of the repetitive schools and all teaching profession. This is how it works. It's actually not a four-year BA program. It's actually uh, in line with the new graduation scheme so that it becomes more fruitful for students to take a decision whether they become they want to become teachers or not. Let's say those who have very, in the very early stages of their life have decided, okay, I want to become a teacher. They can directly go for a four year BA program. That's a good thing, right? Now, what if someone gets into graduation and later, later on says, okay, no, I want to become a teacher. Then he still has an opportunity that he can either go for one year BA program, two year BA program, or what, whatsoever the scheme basically talks about. Okay, is this point clear? Yes, sir. this point is absolutely clear. Thank you for briefing on it so nicely. And so as a part of this curriculum, as per what NEP has mentioned in it, uh, English is no more a mandatory subject to be uh, put in the curriculum for every educational level. Uh, it's not actually removed, but it's not mandatory anymore. Uh, schools will have the liberty to teach in uh, any such language they wish to including uh, Sanskrit being a part and other classical languages. International languages uh, will be there as a preference, but not compulsorily English. So uh, what uh, do you think uh, is uh, like, how fruitful will it, uh, is it going to be? Because we don't know that English has, uh, has been uh, one of the most widely used communication language since a very long time, especially for jobs such as uh, in the IT sector, call centers, the, comp the people actually weigh the uh, company's image uh, as to how right. the people speak English. I mean, that's how uh, Indians perceive English to be. Right, I understand. And I also understand why, because a major part of my earning comes from teaching English. <laughs> so that's a question we should actually be concerned about. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, again, this question, you know, English is no more a mandatory 
uh, language, right? Now, there's a flip, uh, not, I'll not see the flip side to it. Actually, it's, it is a positive, there is a positive side to it. The government, uh, uh, if, you, uh, if you've been through uh, the NEP, the new education policy, right? It mentioned somewhere in that document is mentioned, they're basically planning on Ek Bharat and Shesh Bharat. Okay, mm -hmm. so that diversity, thing that uh, yeah, what, what we are focusing and then this this document basically talks a lot about uh, uh, going back to our ancient not ancient culture I'll say the roots going back to the roots uh, where students basically not only are ready for what is going to come in the way in the coming future but also be prepared of what has happened actually in the past their roots where they come from and that is why this step has been taken no, uh, it has an, another angle to it, which uh, I think people may be aware about. You see, education comes under concurrent list. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, so concurrent list is something which basically uh, allows even government from both centers to state to make provisions or make laws related to that particular. There are few, uh, uh, the few ministries out there which, have, which are there on the concurrent list, which means what? Even states are allowed to make amends and then even state are allowed to make some new laws related to that particular part, correct? Now, the good side, I'll say, uh, I've been teaching English for past seven years and I personally believe if I would have been given this opportunity to teach in a local language, the productivity would have been a lot better because I come across a lot of students who come from some uh, rural backgrounds. They find it extremely difficult to understand concepts when it when it's not there in their local language, there are two five. Uh, there are two sides of it. One, uh, the concepts which will be delivered to students, it will be they'll be more thorough. Eventually, uh, I as a mentor for the past five or seven years, I personally believe it is actually your content that matters. Language is something that can be taught even in the later stages of your life. Now, right in the very young age, if a student is able to grasp the concept even in their local language, let's say. Mm -hmm. uh, I speak three languages. One is my mother, that is Marwadi. The second is uh, Hindi and the third is English. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, Nagpuri, which is the local language that is spoken around here, uh, I'm not very comfortable with it. What is the reason behind it? I should know it. Why? Because I have lived in this state for somewhere around 25 to 27 years. I was never taught. I was never introduced to this language. Now, this is a wonderful opportunity for students to actually learn around local languages and then it's not only about local languages they're also making it multilinguistic they're also bringing in languages from other countries like french spanish as well good thing but point that basically introducing students to ground 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 now what happens here later on right if you're someone who's working on marketing and if you don't know the local language Right, it is very difficult for you to connect people at the ground level. A guy who is very sophisticated goes out there to sell something, talks in a foreign language, no one connects to them. That's directly has a manageability to it. If if a student is taught a local language right from a very young age, the second point, the first point was that they'll be able to learn concepts in a far better way. They'll be able to understand the concepts thoroughly. It will be easily understandable to them to put it easily, right? The second one is it actually helps them develop or connect with their uh, ground reality to connect with people around them, makes them better uh, communicator, to be very honest. Now, English, mandatory, you know? Now, every single state government has been given an option to 
either teach in three different languages, right? Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to implementation of this scheme, let's see how state governments are going to take it up. Now, if Tamil Nadu, let's say Jharkhand for that matter, thinks one of the languages that will be taught is Nagpuri, the second would be Hindi and third, you still have an option to implement English there, right? Now, what happens? Uh, what If you're going to teach them in local language, your books will still be in English, right? The mm -hmm. document does not talk about in what particular language the books, the textbook will be. So we'll have to wait for that. A lot of clarity that is still required. And I personally believe uh, they could have done better things by uh, adding few more pages on what were actually the faults with previous education system, country So this document, so three points. I think I've cleared my point there, the, the question re regarding English language, right? So how will it affect the jobs then? I mean, uh, government did say that English is not a mandatory mm. language. For the yeah, ones like us, for the ones like us who have already completed our schooling and have done mm -hmm. a major part of the education already, uh, we have been still thorough with English comparatively. Yes, yes, because yes, yes. Uh, because we because in our times English was a mandatory language. It was mm -hmm. a, a mandatory part of the curriculum. No matter what kind of medium we had studied in, all of us. Mm -hmm. So, uh, don't you think these will be affecting the jobs, especially in the IT sectors and others where English has to be a mandatory uh, language of medium? Because it will take time to implement mm -hmm. and the people will take time okay. to uh, get uh, very uh, normalized with it. See, uh, uh, Sumedha, your question is base, uh, based on an assumption that they're not even going to implement English. In the curriculum, mm -hmm. right? This is the premise no, sir, the question is based on. Right. This no, is what sir. you're thinking. You're thinking in few. Uh, uh, please complete. Please complete. Just since uh, what I mean to say is uh, that since English all this while was mm -hmm. a mandatory part of the curriculum, right, right, even right, though right. if someone doesn't like it, they had to study mm -hmm. it just for the sake of it because of a compulsion mm -hmm. being there in the curriculum. Mm -hmm. So now mm -hmm. that the compulsion will not be there post the implementation of this new education policy, if it's passed. <clears throat> by the parliament, mm -hmm. then uh, mm -hmm. students will have an option to not study English because they will be uh, having an option. Com mm -hmm. uh, the compulsion part of it you're talking about, right? Uh, the English education was the, uh, the curriculum in English, or let's say the English education. Uh, we are basically talking about this based on our experiences, the way we were being posed in schools when we were studying, when we were kids speak in English, or you, there are certain schools who also used to penalize students for not speaking mm -hmm. in English, right? Correct. Now, if you see uh, uh, the English part of it, you're saying if it's not mandatory, people take enough efforts to learn this language. I think this is what you're asking. Correct. Yes. If, uh, if not making it mandatory, people have already ignored this language. If, if we are not making it mandatory or compulsory for students to learn, people may take it for granted. They may not take it seriously. Correct. Now, it really doesn't work that way, right? Uh, most of the uh, private institutions around the country, right, their curriculum still remains. And then the lot of schools around there would still want their education system to be taught in English only. Because uh, eventually, See, every policy has some political angle to it. I don't want to go there, to be very honest, but I'll just slightly take it there. Why? Because uh, the way the past seven years has been more of a nationalistic identity, correct? And then if you go through NEP very carefully, it shouts of that, 
bringing in sanskrit bringing in nalanda university takshila we are talking about all of that and then not making and english mandatory this, is one and even this mm, please, uh, please. plan to uh, include uh, india uh, some certain national institutes for uh, the lost languages such as persian pali and prakrit is also right, being set right, to be right. so uh, this 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 nep right this nep basically shouts of creating a new or different national or individualistic identity for students learning in this country but the current business world in the era of globalization right no country can afford to isolate itself from the world there are few examples of the country right countries like north korea no uh, there are very uh, good examples of how, what happens to the country basically isolate them this nep basically uh, and i'm saying there is a there has to be a political angle to it this is what because there are a lot of mentions of sanskrit and then one point you also mentioned takshila bringing in back whatever you lost in the past uh, uh, whatever has happened has happened this is what we need to look forward to whatever has happened has happened now if you're thinking of because the first objectives say the students need to be creative they need to be futuristic and then the skills need to be up, upgraded uh, you cannot keep aside english as a skill i'll let me be very clear on it uh, in order to students to succeed in their career to become better, better communicator eventually to get this global opportunity why uh, by 2040 india if india thinks that it needs to be second to none mm -hmm. it will not be happening if india isolates itself from all the other countries perspective in mind india uh, Uh, the schools around the country the colleges around the country or let's say the central university every single other university right they'll have to find that english we are already one of the largest english speakers nations in the world right so uh, mm -hmm. it will not going to go so easily right now our concern is that would students will uh, would students take enough initiative yes there is a possibility that students in not take enough initiative this foreign language for their own developmental sake but again mm -hmm. uh, this part has also come from the institute again jaise previously tha that they make sure that students are learning a foreign language so it's better so just to exploit the better opportunities in the future so uh, the institutes again will take this responsibility to make sure the students mm -hmm. learn this language right and then the concurrent list what the point and i don't think uh, they they are going to take english for granted it, uh, it. that was very well put across sir and uh, even um, i got the clarification that i was looking for so mm -hmm. as per my knowledge uh, is concerned i have got to know and i i should rather say that i have heard that uh, post this implementation of nep 2020 there are now uh, there are going to be three kinds of universities one which will be solely focused for the graduation second for the masters and third solely for the research work so uh, is it uh, true and if true then how it can be implemented in a better way maybe uh, your point is that there there will be separate colleges for masters there will be separate colleges for undergraduate degrees and all right now uh, if you see what basically you just has said right it basically contradicts the idea that has been mm -hmm. discussed in an npc so far how 
because they are more into making universities that already exist into multidisciplinary universities you know the students which are actually uh, the students who are actually not getting opportunities to learn uh, other subjects from iits and iims right uh, i'm just just to name because they are top uh, end universities you know the top end colleges and institution in their own in, the, uh, in their own field of education now to bring in multidisciplinary and then to separate simply to categorize them uh, i think this idea i know i don't know how you have put it across or let's say how they're thinking i think there's another idea to it what they're thinking of is they're bringing all, all the universities together okay mm. they're bringing in all the university a new regulatory system i guess wherein what they're going to do is they're going to rank every single university in this uh, based on the same criteria this is mm. what they're going to do and this is how you are also looking at it that masters whether graduation masters and all correct so this is how they will be ranking universities based on same same judgment criteria same judgment criterion so that it is easier for students to take a decision now uh, having a separate university for masters having a separate university for graduation and having a separate universities and schools schools have always been there right and then graduations the system is already there there are few colleges out there who only uh, 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 give undergraduate degrees right for masters you still have to go to some other universities now at this point uh, i may have to go again through the nep to just to clarify what you've just asked are they really thinking of it but as far as i am concerned they are more multidisciplinary oriented so i think there will be more universities i think there are more undergraduate universities will be offering masters as well because of this new scheme put over there in the new education policy okay okay sir uh, thank you for the clarification again and as per what you mentioned in one of your points previously in a past question of mine that uh, at present the government is planning to spend uh, a gdp percentage of 6 for six, the right. towards education sex uh, towards education six, uh, sector uh mm -hmm. and it's doubling the percentage actually from previously being 3 to now being 6 mm -hmm. so okay. uh, uh you as per what you said and as per what i understood from your point that uh, this percentage of gdp is still not sufficient for the kind of education the government wants to implement through its uh, new mm -hmm. policy of education mm -hmm. so how much do you think should be uh, the percentage for the for the uh, perfect implementation of this new policy of education whatever if you go through this document right every single uh, right from the school levels and then uh, right uh, graduation and then the higher education why because this is a, there is a very holistic approach to this new education policy they are basically looking for an overall development and then the earlier system you know the earlier system the earlier system of education was simply factory outlet this is how i used to call it keep just get a new education system get a job and get done with it now they are also bringing in creative and innovative angle to it and then mm -hmm. they're also giving students an opportunity to be what they want this is how it uh, came across to me that's a good way but again uh, do you have enough universities now for example if you see uh, every single year in this country uh, there are 10 lakh or let's say 1 million students who basically appear for nit national mm -hmm. uh, eligibility test ke liye uh, 1 million students and then it is conducted twice in a year so in basically in a year there are 2 million students who aspire to become phd's or jrfs or want to get into assistant professor jobs right 
and the number of universities we have in this country is somewhere around 900 or so not very sure of the exact numbers but it's somewhere around 900 920 30 somewhere around that and then the number of central universities which are the most reputed ones are only 50 and then all these 20 mil, uh, all these 2 million want to get into one one of the uh, these central universities now think of it we don't not only need uh, enough infrastructure we not only need new institutions we also need new people who can take care of these new institutions new infrastructure we also need new research facilities why because this nep again focuses a lot on research they want more researchers coming in this country so that they eventually can train more researchers to come in the field and this is how uh, you you are basically targeting the global market. So we need, what is the current percentage of PhDs in this country? 0.5% of the population. It's only mm -hmm. meager 0.5%. Now, to be able to get, or to be able to implement all of this, as I mentioned, you need more universities and more high-class universities, top-class universities, right? And then where is the problem there? And I'll tell you again, I'll mention why, because uh, if you see, uh, the government also talks about private investment. There are a lot of private, very reputed private institutions across the country, right? So what I was talking about is you need better infrastructure, better research facilities, better faculty members who can teach research, a lot of training required, uh, new education implementation, skills development and all. And then if you ask me, looking for my percentage, as far as I read it, uh, in Times of India magazine, it was mentioned that the the increment part of this is only 1.7%, from 43 to 6%, right? Now, the kind of GDP percentage we're looking ahead is somewhere around three times. It should be somewhere around 9% to 10% to be, to be able to properly implement. And then the other side, why? Because if you go through this new education policy, uh, they have actually targeted private institutions you know because they don't want these coaching institutes and then other institutions to flourish any further uh, this is how it come across why right? because uh, mm -hmm. they won't give every single thing to a student every single quality that is required out of the student right in the schools so that jo facilitator ka role hota tha, coaching institution ka wo beach mein hai. now mm -hmm. there is a gap you know why do coaching institutions come into picture because there is a gap there's a gap, mm -hmm. uh, schools and colleges are not able to fill in the gap and that is where this opportunity comes for coaching institutes and other private institutions. Now they're thinking of actually mending this gap. They're thinking of basically eliminating this gap. Now, again, to, to be able to do that, you require a voracious level of training of teachers, new teachers, and we need young teachers to be very honest, right? Who are motivated. Uh, teaching should not be considered as last or one of the last options as a career, right? That is why they have come up with a four-year BA program. Actually, that's the major reason behind it. That we want teachers who are actually motivated, who are actually passionate about their subjects, who are ready to take creative or in, who are ready to bring in creative and innovative ways to deliver concepts to the students. And in order to be able to do that, you should be able to woo the teachers, to be very honest, right? Because why do why do you think teachers move to private institutions? Because they do, don't get paid enough back there. Good teachers. If you see most of the good teachers around the country, they are actually associated with private institutions. The reason behind it is there's not enough incentive and motivation. So in order to bring in that motivation, that incentive program, you'll have to shed in money. You need money. 
and then to answer my question again at least three to four percent of the current three to four uh, three to three to four times more if it's three percent nine percent to ten percent somewhere on nine to ten percent uh, but uh, isn't the government only uh, responsible for contributing its GDP towards its own institutions like the public institutions and not the private ones? Now, we are basically talking about uh, uh, this plan and how much fund would be required. Yes, government is responsible uh, uh, mm -hmm. for managing these funds and all, right? And then they're taken, they're given, they're giving us somewhere around 10 years to this scheme to be properly implemented. Now, if the government says that we are going to uh, dedicate 6% of GDP to it, right? Now, which means what? They must have gone through all the sides of it and then they have given this figure and they're going to stick to this figure. Later on, if they think, yes, they need to be flexible enough to be uh, uh, increase it or to bring in more money. And there are other uh, philosophers, uh, I'll say, philanthropic institutions that always pool in money, right? Though that always will always be, that always will always, that option will always be available for the government. Correct. So yes, government is responsible, but the inflation part of it, we need money. You actually needed more money. And yes, mm -hmm. government is responsible, they'll have to bring. And then why have they dedicated 6% to it? Because they have other commitment as well. Okay. So in order to give education that much percentage, they must take it from somewhere else. You know? So if they think that particular part requires more of that money, why would they put it in education? So after going through thorough research, they would have come up with this figure of 6%. But again, implementation requires a lot of experts are saying implementation requires a lot more than what they actually are saying. It all comes to impl uh, implementation. That is what it says. They have come up with a lot of brilliant policies in the past as well, but implementation was the part that was absolutely viable. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, sir. That brings us to the end of the session. And I hope uh, each and everyone who will be a part of this podcast, each and every viewer of this podcast, will definitely reap benefits out of it. And thanks a lot to you again for uh, taking, your, uh, taking your precious time and uh, joining our session. Uh, thank you, Sumedha. I really appreciate it. I hope you, this podcast is helpful. Okay. And then uh, share it across to students. And then in case you need any other part, because, but again, uh, let's look at it from a different angle. And then if it helps students out, I'm more than happy to help you guys. And thank you for this opportunity. Okay. Thank you, sir. So uh, that was it, viewers. This is your host, Sumedha, from the Little Arrowhead Foundation, signing off. Have a good day and stay safe.